census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Hero can be anyone, even a man doing something as simple and reassuring as putting a coat around a young boy's shoulders to let him know the world hadn't ended. Hey, Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day. On the gig then. Remember, you wanted this. Welcome to Screen Perspectives, a podcast produced by the Pittsburgh Film Office to share how people build successful careers in the screen industry, be it film, TV, streaming, etc. Screen Perspectives was born out of many conversations with industry professionals, sometimes over dinner, sometimes over drinks, and a lot of times driving around looking at the wonderful diversity of locations in southwestern Pennsylvania. Thousands of people make their living in the screen industry, which nationally tops $28 billion a year. Locally, the screen industry is responsible for over $150 million in new money to southwestern Pennsylvania's economy. There is really no direct pathway to success in this industry. It's a lot of hard work, networking, and you have to sprinkle in a little bit of luck to be successful. The Pittsburgh Film Office is excited to share these amazing individual stories with you so you can learn how they did it and determine your best path forward. Screen Perspectives is hosted by me, Don Kieser, director of the Pittsburgh Film Office, and the incredible Kevin Smith, screenwriter extraordinaire, screenwriting instructor, and driving force of the broadcast program at the University of Pittsburgh. Produced by Max Glider, Isaiah Stewart, and Jennifer Booker, our first guest for our first podcast is the immensely talented Russ Steiner, producer, actor, writer, and friend to the Pittsburgh Film Office and the Pittsburgh film industry. It's fitting that Russ is the first guest for Screen Perspectives, as he is arguably the one who started it all here in the region. Russ is most well known for creating Night of the Living Dead back in 1968, along with his friend George Romero and John Russo. This was in 1968 and is arguably the movie that started the commercial film business that we know and enjoy today in the Pittsburgh region. Russ is also the founder of the Pittsburgh Film Office, currently serves as the chairman of our board of trustees, and we're thrilled he's here to share his story with us and you today. We're thrilled you're here. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Russ. Hello, everybody. How are you? I am privileged to be here with you on your uh, maiden podcast. Great. Thank you, Russ. I have to tell you, I'm excited about this because the bottom line is Russ is the father of the Pittsburgh film industry. Um, obviously with the, the most legendary film that put Pittsburgh film on the map, which is Night of the Living Dead. It's as iconic now, if not even more so, than when it came out in 1968. But in addition, he found the Pittsburgh Film Office. And look how that's grown in all these years and you know, with the caretaking of all the people that have come after him, including Don. So Russ, uh, I'm going to start out. Sure. I'm going to take you back, not to 1968, but just a little bit before that. When did the conversation about Night of the Living Dead first come to fruition with uh, uh, George and John and yourself? Well, I I would like to tell you that we had some, that we were geniuses and we had some grand plan as to uh, how we were going to uh, get our foot in the film office door or in the uh, film industry door. Uh, But that wasn't quite the case. Uh, we came together, uh, the first person, when George Romero uh, came here in uh, 
1957 to go to then Carnegie Tech uh, as a painting and design major. Um, I he met a fellow by the name of Rudy Ritchie. Rudy Ritchie was the the local person who lived in Clareton, uh, who was uh, at any rate. Uh, I was cast in a uh, a silly farcical holiday comedy, and Rudy Ritchie was also cast in that show, and we were sharing a, a dressing room. And Rudy said, uh, I've got this friend of mine that I'm going to school with at Carnegie Tech, uh, and I'd like to bring him over to see one of the shows and introduce the two of you. I think you'll hit it off. That person was George Romero. Uh, and that's how we basically met one another. Uh, a few months after that, uh, George was f making a 16 millimeter film, uh, his first film in Pittsburgh, which was called Expostulations. And he asked me if I would be interested in becoming an actor in Expostulations. And I thought, well, I'm this uh, almost famous stage actor. Sure, I'll, I'll be in your film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, I did. It was the, I was so naive about film production. And I must say that working with George, working in film, which I had never done before, I was hooked. And from that day forward, George and I started to hang out. Just uh, uh, we uh, worked on expostulations. We tried to get it finished. It, it is unfortunately unfinished, but we do have one uh, 20 minute episode from that very first effort uh, that we uh, did, uh, which is now a part of the archive of the George Romero Foundation. <clears throat> So we got started with uh, uh, the uh, with expostulations. Then we discovered that we've got to find a way to keep groceries on our table. How 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 are we going to do that? So <laughs> so it was my bright idea. How about if we start a commercial film production company? Back in those days. Uh, Film was a very, very rare commodity in Pittsburgh. I mean, very rare. And most of the film work that was being done was done um, to support television stations. Uh, there was a, a, a group called uh, Package Programs, and they were doing Pittsburgh features and this and that. There was one big-time company called Modart, and they had 35-millimeter equipment. They... They were the big boys in town. Everybody uh, fell in line behind Modart. Uh, but Modart did most of their work outside of Pittsburgh. They did very, very little original filming uh, other than um, there was a radio program in town and a radio personality by the name of Reg Cordick. Uh, Reg Cordick was at the time the highest paid, quote, disc jockey in the country. Uh, and his format was comedy. 
uh, insane morning radio comedy. Um, and he decided at one point that he was going to do two 35 millimeter theatrical shorts, uh, which Modart did for him. Uh, at any rate, getting back to the George Romero story, uh, George and I scraped together enough money to uh, open a small three-room storefront uh, office uh, on East Carson Street on the south side. And uh, slowly, very slowly, but very surely, uh, we created enough uh, amusement in the uh, TV commercial business that people started to give us work. And, uh, and we gradually built our business. That, the business started in the early 60s. Uh, and uh, gradually, uh, we became, our, our zany little company became popular enough that uh, uh, we were able to sustain ourselves. And in 1964, we moved into downtown Pittsburgh and to the big time. And it was uh, from those offices at 247 Fort Pitt Boulevard that uh, John Russo, when he got out of the army, uh, he came and joined us. Uh, my brother, Gary Streiner, joined us. Uh, and uh, that's when we decided that Okay, making TV commercials is fine, but we really want to do feature films, uh, and we believe that feature films can be done here. Uh, I I have to say that uh, uh, some of some of the newspaper reporters treated us like comedy relief. Make make movies in Pittsburgh, are you? <laughs> and they came up with names like, oh, you're going to create Hollywood on the Mon, you know, that, <laughs> those, those sorts of things. But we decided that w that's what we wanted to do. And that's our, our production company became popular enough um, that we had enough uh, equipment, facilities, uh, editing uh, facilities, the whole nine yards that we had everything that we needed in-house to make a movie. Then it was, it became, okay, what movie? And thanks to um, then WIIC and Saturday Night Chiller Theater, they, uh, Chil uh, Bill Cardill and Chiller, Th Chiller Theater uh, bought a package of movies, uh, scary movies made in Mexico, and they were not very good. So, <laughs> to say the least, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when you can see tuba fours hanging out of the monster, it 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 takes kind of some of the scary elements away. Over the Christmas holidays in 1966. Uh, George went away and he came back after the holidays. He went to visit his folks in New York. Um, he came back and he had the beginning outline of what eventually became Night of the Living Dead. So we had roundtable discussions. 
George and John Russo got together and actually wrote the script. Uh, there, there were certain holes in it, but we, we knew how to get from point A to point B uh, and finish the picture. And my character was one of the last ones to be uh, uh, cast. Uh, Carl Hardman and myself were the two producers on that film. Uh, Carl Hardman became Harry Cooper, uh, his business partner at the time. Uh, Marilyn Eastman became Helen Cooper. His real life daughter became Karen Cooper in the in the in the basement. It really was in thinking about it. It really was kind of a Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland kind of. Well, let's just put on a show. You know, I'll make the costumes and somebody will do the scenery and let's pull it together. Night of the Living Dead was not much different than that, but we stuck with it and uh, finished it in early 1968. We found a distributor for it. And I'm happy to say that this year, Night of the Living Dead has been in theatrical distribution or television distribution, some form of distribution for now 55 years. So the whole concept of at the time using zombies or the interesting thing is they never refer to them as zombies. They're ghouls, right? In the, exactly. In the exactly movie, right? right. You've done your homework. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> the movie's so iconic. I mean, it's, it's literally, it's, you know, people quote it. it it's so iconic. And so it, the whole, who had the idea of zombies? Like, was it a decision that you and George and John, it's tough because there's a lot of different topics. We had the blob back then, you know, something like that. You know, of course, you can run off of any version of Frankenstein or Dracula or anything like that. So why ghouls slash zombies? Uh, that that was the brainchild. Uh, flesh-eating uh, ghouls were the, the brainchild of John Russo and George Romero. And in this outline that George put together, uh, he he uh, proposed in his outline uh, some kind of a menace, but the menace was never identified. Uh, it could have been a space alien. It could have been whatever. And uh, John and uh, George started batting ideas around, and out of it came flesh-eating zombies. Uh, uh, or of course. Flesh of course. Flesh what, flesh what else, what else would you think exactly. of? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know. At least it wasn't flesh-eating puppies. Thank I mean, you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the recent, the recent, the the reason that they are recently dead is because we didn't know how to pull off the special effects of bodies rising up out of their graves and so forth. So we made them all recently dead. The fact that you didn't have these fancy special effects makes it actually far more powerful for telling the story, which is so fascinating to me. It's you know, the beauty of when I watch it, you know, I've seen it multiple times, but I, I love the fact that it's the tension that keeps ramping up and you're just in that world period from the get-go and <laughs> you never leave it. That's absolutely right. And it, it's, it's the, the menace is unrelenting. And that's, that's part of, 
uh, I think the the success of it, you know, uh, more than uh, you know a monster with two by fours hanging out of it, occasionally uh, attacking some girls running around in shorts at a sorority party. That, <laughs> oh, that, that kind of that, <laughs> I think it's been done. Oh darn! That, yeah. that kind of approach was never, ever, ever even considered. The working title of the film was Night of Anubis. I'll, I'll give you one brief story as to how it got to be Night of Anubis. Anubis being one of the Egyptian gods of the dead. Oh, jeez. The ori- original, original, original title was uh, uh, Night of the Flesh Eaters. And as publicity started to come out about Night of the Living Dead, I got a letter from uh, a, a lawyer representing uh, Vulcan Productions. Vulcan Productions had a movie called uh, The Flesh Eater or The Flesh Eaters or something like that. So uh, it was basically a cease and desist order, stop using flesh eaters. Well, we we didn't want to start off our distribution history with something that was likely going to get us sued uh, to begin with for uh, name infringement or whatever. So George Romero came up with the idea. He said, let's put a title on this that nobody has. We'll call it uh, Night of Anubis. Well, and and that's when WRS, who at that time was in Oakland, made our first answer print, which was complete from beginning to end with effects and titles and all the sound mixing and all that. Our first answer print had on it the title Night of Anubis. When we uh, made a, an arrangement with the distributor, Night of Anubis, they said, Anubis, this is crazy. Nobody knows Anubis. Forget about it. <laughs> Up there with we the need expostulations. A, yeah. a, a, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so uh, we started batting around additional titles, and that's how the title Night of the Living Dead came into being. And when the title was changed from Night of Anubis by the distributor, they failed to put our copyright notice on it. So our, we got the, uh, we, uh, George Stern at uh, Associated Theaters was opening the picture in October uh, in 1968. Uh, in, it opened in seven, it was either seven or 11 theaters. We got the prints in on the first, at which was the first time we were seeing the title Night of the Living Dead, and lo and behold, no copyright notice. But it was too late to do anything about it at that point. And under the old copyright law, prior to 1976, if you released a movie or a book or anything to the public that did not have a copyright notice on it, you uh, supposedly lost your rights forever. The, the copyright laws are now very different, and Night of the Living Dead was one of the examples that c- caused uh, 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 Congress to take a look at the copyright laws and change them. At what point did you and George and John realize 
we have something special here. Did you not realize that when, what, October 4th, when it came out in the theaters? Um, uh, it was October 1st of 1968. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we honestly had no clue. What we, what our, our goal was to make a movie that was more scary than what we were seeing on Channel 11 on Chiller Theater on Saturday nights. And we felt if we can do that, somebody is likely to buy our movie and maybe we'll make enough money to make another one. Uh, The film was completely self-financed, so we did not have any uh, studio executives or financiers looking over our shoulders saying, well, that we don't know that that's a good idea. How about steering away from that? We did uh, consider shooting a happier ending because... (laughs) Uh, after 55 years, I don't know that it's necessarily to, necessary to give any spoiler alerts, but Night of the Living Dead does not does not have a happy ending. So, but we did because it was our first time out of the gate. We thought, well, what if the the film business looks at this thing and says, uh, it's just too much of a downer. We're not interested. We considered that happy ending for about 20 seconds and said, no, this movie has to end a certain way and the audience will either accept it or not accept it. And the film distribution business will either accept it or not accept it. So to that extent, we stuck by our guns and uh, uh, we got lucky. Uh, wow. So here, here we are. Yep. Uh, the 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 movie itself has taken on a cultural life of its own. I, I don't know how better to describe it. We don't know how or why. Uh, it took, you asked the question earlier, when did we, uh, John Russo, George Romero, and myself, know that there was on, this film was onto something special? It was very, very slow and gradual, actually. Uh, 55 years later, still talking about this uh, 93-minute movie. Absolutely, and thank you for being our premiere guest on our premiere episode, because it's a perfect way to start it. Happy to do it. You've been listening to episode one of Screen Perspectives. Screen Perspectives is hosted by Don Keezer and Kevin Smith. Produced and engineered by Max Glider, Isaiah Stewart, and Jennifer Booker. Music by Isaiah Stewart. Special thanks to today's guest, Russ Streiner, the Pittsburgh Film Office, and to the University of Pittsburgh. Screen Perspectives is a production of the Pittsburgh Film Office.